and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your Western United Dairies field representative, and this week we are grateful to have Tiffany LaMandola, our economist with Blimling EverAg, to bring us a market update, and we sit down with Paul Souza, our Director of Environmental and Regulatory Affairs, to discuss some of the potential changes coming to the Central Valley Water Board regulation. Before we jump into the episode, we want to let you know that for the remainder of 2022, we're going to be going bi-weekly. That means you'll be getting a podcast in your inbox every other week. And we're just doing that due to the workload and the process of hiring a new field rep. We're hoping by January, we'll be back in full swing with our weekly episodes. In the meantime, we're going to bring you some great content every other week, and we look forward to your content requests and input on the episodes. Thanks so much for your patience with us during this time, and we will jump right in with Tiffany today. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com slash agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. Well, if you're just watching the dairy spot markets, it seemed like a pretty boring week or pretty quiet, but there was a little bit more going on behind the scenes. Um, We did have another global dairy trade out of Oceana on Tuesday. Mixed results there. Um, Powders were steady to lower. Skim milk powder held about steady. Whole milk powder declined yet again. Um, so that was about expected. Cheese, however, got a little boost in the auction, and it seemed to give our domestic markets a little uh, little flame. And I think as well as our domestic prices kind of dropping back down into the 170s, we started hearing credible reports of the export bid coming back. So it seemed like we were going to be maybe off to the races in the cheese market on Tuesday. At least it felt that way. We got a little boost in the spot prices. The class three futures started rallying, uh, but it was pretty short-lived. The rest of the week featured mostly lower class three futures and spot blocks actually ended the week down two and a half cents. So that rally didn't last much more than a day this week. Um, Moving over to butter, we ended the week at 294. Uh, We've just been trading in that kind of 290 to $3 range here for quite some time. Uh, At the GDT, anhydrous milk fat prices tumbled, so we're going to have to keep an eye on that. It was down to $1.83 equivalent on 80% butterfat terms. That may lead to some more butter imports later in the year and early next year into the U.S. if we remain at such a uh, a larger price than that. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Nonfat dry milk. Wasn't too impressed either way. We closed just about a quarter cent higher for the week. Um, We are told Mexico remains pretty quiet on the demand front. And so we sort of just linger here a bit. Uh, Moving over to grains, USDA reported the corn crop at 57% good or excellent. 
That was down a little bit from last week and also a little lower than the averages. Soybeans were 58% good or excellent. That compares to about 59% last week and a little bit um, higher last year. Favorable temperatures and timely rains in the key U.S. soybean regions did pressure prices just a bit for much of the week in the soybean complex. Nearby corn futures also dropped, um, although reports are pretty variable around the U.S. crop conditions. Um, Ukraine did have a few more successful shipments out, and that helped uh, ease concerns about availability some, so corn was down a bit for the week as well. All eyes uh, next week will be on uh, Monday's report. We've reports, I should say. We've got USDA releasing both milk production and cold storage on Monday. Milk production is expected to come in a little bit uh, positive, up about 0.7%, our models would suggest. Um, Keep in mind that the year-over-year comparisons get a little bit easier in July, uh, so that's at least one driving factor. Please reach out if you have any questions. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. We are excited to welcome back to the show our Director of Regulatory and Environmental Affairs, Paul Souza. Paul, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on uh, Seen and Heard. Well, Paul, it may not be a pleasure for our dairymen to hear about this next topic we're going to talk about. It's really important that we cover it on the show. It's pretty in-depth, but it is it is going to be kind of a challenging era for producers as we move through this. So turns out the water quality regulations, as we have talked about in the past, in the Central Valley specifically, are about to change. So could we get into that a little bit? Yeah, that's correct. And while it may not be the best news, Um, I think those that are aware and most prepared are going to be in the best position to uh, deal with this, which is why we're talking about it. Um, I I don't see a benefit of putting your head in the sand. Um, You know, that will definitely lead to running into issues down the road. The more aware you are and prepared you are, um, the smoother this will go. I agree. I agree. And it's going to be a lengthy process. So nothing too drastic is going to happen for dairies in the short term. There's going to be a lot that they have to kind of work through, though, is what I'm reading. Correct. Uh, We will talk about that because this is, you know, a government process and it moves at the speed of government. Um, Things are are starting to happen and things are happening, but there's just a long process um, that is ahead of us. And so, you know, I I think for about two years, uh, the regulations won't change. And then likely there will be timelines in the regulations when people need to implement uh, the things that are in the regulation. So, you know, it, it could be five years before dairy producers are actually asked uh, to do something different uh, by the time the regulations get adopted and then you get to those timelines in the regulations. Okay. Well, that kind of makes, I mean, it makes it a little bit easier to swallow, I guess, is the, the answer. 
Um, so the process is being driven mostly by environmental groups, um, correct? They correct. Yeah, so I'll kind of go over that. Um, you know, there's a lot we don't know. We're just at the beginning of the process, but again, this issue of the more you know, the more prepared you are. So um, this was driven by a petition uh, by environmental justice groups to the state water board claiming that the existing Central Valley dairy permit is not tough enough. Uh, that petition was actually filed back in 2013 when the current permit was adopted by the regional board. Uh, the state water board has sat on it. Up until last year, they said, uh, you know, we're going to take up this petition and start looking at it. And so they've done that. They've held some meetings. They've uh, kind of let some folks know what's going on. They actually toured a dairy. Uh, and I was on that tour. Um, kind of interesting that the folks that are actually driving this issue uh, hear their questions. They, had, most of them had never been on a dairy before, didn't know how a dairy worked. Uh, and so that's a little bit scary. So yeah. there, there was some educating as part of that process. And uh, I'll be engaged in the process also. But the State Water Board is going to be uh, writing an order uh, and issuing that order to the Central Valley Water Board directing them to re revise their dairy permit. Uh, and there's gonna be some specific things that the State Water Board requires uh, that the regional board address. We don't know when that's gonna happen. Um, that could happen any time from a couple of weeks from now to by the end of the year, likely by the end of the year, uh, but it could even go into next year, especially, like I said, at the speed of government, you never can tell. There are no deadlines on the Water Board. They love to impose deadlines on people, but they do not give themselves any deadlines uh, as to when they need to meet things. And so at some point, there's going to be an order that tells the regional board, hey, here's what you've got to do. And that order has to go through a public process before it goes to the regional board. Okay. Uh, I will be able to you know, look at it and comment it on it, as well as our uh, members and dairy producers. So we will be talking more about it. We don't know exactly what it's going to say. There are some things we know based on those conversations that have happened. Uh, but we don't know exactly what is going to be in the permit. And so some things you cannot prepare for, but there are things that you can prepare for uh, of what this is gonna look like going forward. Okay, good to know. Um, do you mention that you will be engaged in the process, Paul, and that dairy producers are gonna have the opportunity. So we, we really encourage them to be aware of what's going on, engage as much as possible when appropriate and prepare for um, what may come from the process. And they can do that by staying engaged with us. They are always welcome to call you. Um, do you have any other advice about how they can be involved? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, following our um, media, uh, our newsletter and the podcast, we will be talking about these things as they happen. So there will be a public process with the state water board's order. And then there will be another public process with the regional water board when they open their order to address the items uh, spelled out by the state water board. So there will be two public um, opportunities to engage and to comment. And we will be talking about those here on Seen and Heard and in our update. And uh, and again, yes, Melissa, if, they, if our members have questions, I am more than happy to take their calls and uh, talk them through this. So um, we're, you know, we're just getting started, uh, but folks should be aware that of what's coming down the road. Awesome, good. Well, we don't know exactly what's going to come of this, Paul, um, but we've talked about there There seems to be some preliminary discussions on kind of where the focus is going to be around this, um, these directives. So can we get a little bit into that? Yeah. So 
the state water board has held some meetings and put out some documents on where they're thinking about going and the process uh, seems focused on lagoons and cropland. The Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program or CVDRMP as they're more commonly known, uh, conducted a study that evaluated the contribution of different parts of the dairy to nitrate in groundwater. Um, almost all dairies in the Central Valley are members of the CVDRMP. It helps meet their requirements for groundwater monitoring that's in the dairy permit currently, uh, and also for compliance with uh, the CV salt nitrate management zones and salt control program. So it's a very streamlined way to comply. And this study that they did showed that of the nitrogen moving to groundwater from a dairy, 94% uh, of it is coming from cropland, 4% from lagoons, and 2% from corrals. And so it makes sense that cropland would be part of the discussion. If I was driving that process, I you know, would go there. Uh, sure. But in, lagoons continue to get more attention than their impact would suggest. This is an old thing. Uh, lagoons yeah. have always drawn a lot of attention. Um, I think based on how they look, you know, you look at a lagoon and got this pond of, you know, this manure water. Uh, you look at a cornfield, it's nice and green. It looks beautiful. You know, it doesn't look like there's anything happening wrong there. But now we have science, though. I mean, those folks that are still clinging on to that, you know, we've got this science showing the 94% contribution from cropland versus 4% from lagoon. So um, I think we should know better now that we've actually uh, done the science. And I think we should be following the science. But uh, lagoons will continue to be a large part of that focus. Okay. Despite their small contribution, they're kind of the elephant in the room. They're noticeable. They're stinky. They're big. They're right there on the dairy. So they seem to attract more attention from regulators and EJ groups alike, it seems. Yep. And that's always been the case. I mean, that hasn't changed. I would just say that, you know, now that we've got some science, um, you know, if the goal is water quality, following the science makes sense. And, you know, following this uh, hypothetical or, you know, old way of thinking of it just looks bad, uh, we need to do something about this, uh, isn't going to do much for water quality. Yeah. So, you know, but it's lagoons and uh, cropland. Um, for the lagoons, it looks like the kind of the discussion is that there would be some testing of existing lagoons to determine how much they might be leaking. Um, and the lagoons that pass that test will be able uh, to continue to be used in the interim. So um, most lagoons, it looks like I'm actually familiar with this testing. I've seen it. I'm aware of it. We uh, tested, I think it was about 15 lagoons, something like that, somewhere between 10 and 15 lagoons um, mm -hmm. that we were involved with. And I would, I'm, my recollection was that about 75 to 80% of them could pass uh, the test. And so, um, you know, that's a, a positive thing. Most of them will pass. Yeah. The problem is the, the test doesn't work for most lagoons. We actually went to a lot of dairies and a lot of them didn't work out before we found the 10 to 15 that we were going to test. And so, um, I don't know how that's going to go. I mean, like I said, this is preliminary. This is how the state water board is thinking. Um, and I'm not sure that there's much a dairy can do. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody to spend money or um, unless, you know, you've got some issue that needs to be addressed uh, and there's not much you can do with lagoons without triggering re the regulations. Um, I, I think just being aware of that and being aware for what that may mean in the future, but there's not much that a dairy I think can do today to prepare for that other than being aware. Okay. Um, the cropland is a, is a different story. I think yeah. we have a good idea where the regulations are going. And I think there are things that dairies can do today to start moving them in the right direction. And I, I think that would be wise um, for those dairies that are looking to, um, you know, 
address these issues and move forward and be here in the future. Right. And so what kind of changes do you think um, we should focus on with that cropland, Paul? Yeah, so it, what the idea is that, I think the big picture idea is that the amount of nitrogen that's produced by the cows must be accounted for in the manure that's agronomically ap applied to cropland or exported off the dairy. Said another way, the manure that you apply to your fields and the manure that you export off the dairy need to add up roughly to what the cows produced. If there is a large discrepancy, that is going to throw up a red flag and the regulations seem um, you know, aimed at creating that red flag. Right. Um, it's accounting for all the nitrogen that was produced with the manure and then tracking its fate. And so um, there's a, a couple of things that I you know, came up with that dairies can do to prepare. Um, a big part of that is making more land available for manure application, especially lagoon water. I think that's going to be the big challenge. Um, and then um, applying that manure or exporting more of the manure nutrients if you can't apply it agronomically. Uh, some of the things that I think of, and this is not an inclusive list, would be um, to put in pipelines to distribute lagoon water to land that doesn't currently get lagoon water on your dairy. Maybe you've got an 80 acre field, uh, you know, a half mile away that can't get lagoon water, but you could run a pipe there and get 80 more acres um, to be able to distribute your lagoon water. The positive thing here is that this has been traditionally funded by uh, the Natural Resources Conservation Service or NRCS. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, there's funding out there for this. Uh, you can reach agreements with neighbors to use lagoon water on their cropland where that's appropriate. You know, the crop, uh, again, you need to consider pathogens and weeds and that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, but where it's appropriate, um, I think that's an opportunity. And, you know, I think this can be assisted. This conversation can be assisted by the current high prices for synthetic fertilizer. You can start the conversation with your neighbor asking them, hey, what was your fertilizer bill this year? Uh, you know, hey, I'd be willing to give you all that fertilizer for free if you would just take my uh, manure. And I think that you know, that'll help move that forward. Uh, another one is to export more solid manure. And this might include converting uh, your flush system to a partial scrape, uh, making it easier to export those manure nutrients in the solid manure. Um, CDFA's Alternative Manure Management Program has been funding these types of projects. So the theme here is that there is funding out there to implement sure, yeah. some of these changes and you can take advantage of that. And again, that planning, um, you know, it takes time to plan for this. Um, AMP doesn't come around very often. So right. you know, planning, hey, I want to apply for AMP to help me, you know, achieve this. Uh, you definitely want to start planning that now and to know that it's coming so that you can start planning it. Um, I would also suggest talking to your environmental consultant or to call me about what other options might be available for your dairy. Every dairy is different. Uh, and maybe there's some that are not on the list that might work best for you or um, you know how to implement these that are on the list uh, would be you know a good conversation to happen have and I'm happy with to do that uh, and also your environmental consultant who is uh, most familiar with your dairy uh, could also have that conversation. I think it's all good advice Paul I, I think it is good news this this information kind of stings a little like we've been going along for quite a few years under this order and thinking that everybody's doing a really good job which I think they are it's just that time where the environmental justice groups have gotten the water board's ear and said they want to see more um, but there are options especially for the cropland issues and there's a lot of resources out there um, and it is a process. It's hard to plan around that. You're trying to manage a dairy and manage employees and 
do everything on a daily basis and then to take time to have to rethink the way that you're irrigating or using fertilizer manure um, is tough, but it's important that we can start a little bit early and, and start thinking through some of the challenges that producers might encounter on their individual farms. So even though this is coming and it's a little scary and we don't know exactly what the changes are, there is time to move forward with some planning. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say if you're making any big decisions on your dairy also to be aware of this and to incorporate this um, into your decision making, you know, let's say a piece of land comes up for sale next to your dairy or you're thinking about an expansion, um, right. it, you know, it's going to be important to be aware uh, of this in those kinds of decisions uh, as you move forward. Absolutely. And we will, um, as you mentioned, Paul, reach out to you if you have questions, if you don't have an environmental consultant that's versed in this subject, um, we will link your email in the show notes so folks can reach out directly from there. And I think we're going to do a follow-up um, in the coming weeks in our weekly update. So folks will have your contact information and they'll be able to kind of see what we went over in writing and, and think through it a little bit more. Yeah. And th this is a process and there will be more on that. There's going to be outreach and education um, totally. The California Dairy Quality Assurance Program, or CDQAP, is aware of this and is planning uh, for outreach to educate dairy producers and the consultants, um, you know, to try to have people understand this and make it as smooth as possible. Um, I'm going to be engaged in the process um, and then reporting back to our members and trying to make, you know, the outcome of where this goes as reasonable as possible so that our yeah. dairies can comply with it and can, uh, you know, be successful uh, moving through this. Uh, understanding these changes and what your options are is a good strategy for success in the future. And that's why we're uh, reaching out to you. Yes. And I would just add, like, I, I, I think we don't always chalk it up to a win if we don't 100% get what we want out of these um, challenging situations. But I think it is a win that we have some time, that we have a, a great industry and to, to, that's gathering together to help provide resources and support for dairies. And I do think we we have some options here for our producers who are willing to work through the challenge. So yeah, it's hard. We're challenged a lot in this industry, but I, I, I think there's, you know, some good that can come out of that, whether we can see it now or not. Yeah. And it's also important to have accurate information. I've actually yeah. um, sat down with family uh, and heard some coffee shop talk on this uh, subject. Um, you know, oh, they're going to make us line all lagoons. Uh, that was the uh, conversation at the dinner table and like, well, you know, well, there's, uh, you know, there's more to it than that. And that's why you know, we're trying to get you um, accurate information. And, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with lagoons at this point. Uh, it's very early on. There's no regulations that have been written. Uh, and we'll see when the orders come out. But at this point, it looks like, um, you know, existing lagoons will be able to continue, uh, again, with that yep. testing option. And so it's just important that people have accurate information that they don't make a decision based on uh, you know, inaccurate information. They hear something at the coffee shop and then right. decide they're going to sell the cows because, uh, you know, what they heard down at the coffee shop. If you're going to make big decisions, uh, make sure you've got the right information to base those decisions on. Absolutely. If I if I could make one rule for Dairyman, it would be that when you hear something at the coffee shop, call and ask your professionals before you move forward too much with the information. It's it's a good thing that we can engage with each other and, and we're back in coffee shops and not just, um, you know, home kind of isolated, but also let's make sure we're getting accurate info and, and, and moving our business forward with the most accurate information. Absolutely.
Well, Paul, thank you again. Um, as always, you've brought a little bit of sunshine to something that could be a pretty um, tough situation. And we appreciate you bringing us um, all this all this news and giving us the right updates that we need to hopefully move our producers forward. And again, Paul's going to be linked in our show notes. You guys all have his contact info. If you have questions, reach out. If you can't get a hold of Paul, you can always call myself. Um, and I will I will get you in touch with Paul, but you're pretty available and, and you are really happy to talk through this stuff with producers. Yeah, absolutely. Do not hesitate to call if you've got a question, um, if you want to talk about this, where it's going or in the months to come, uh, feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call. I'm happy to talk to our members. Thanks so much for joining us today, Paul. Yep. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, and special thanks to Tiffany Lamandola and Paul Souza. Again, we want to remind you that we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. And in the meantime, we hope you'll send us comments content requests and questions, you can send those to M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com or I-N-F-O at wudairies.com. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at your favorite podcasting platform and remember to rate and review us if you get a chance. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll see you in two weeks. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, The Morningstar Company, Holt of California, Farm Credit Alliance, PG&E, Arata Swingle and Van Eggman, Yosemite Farm Credit, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, California Dairy Magazine, and Bennett Environmental. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com.